You all, could you please take your Bibles and turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And this morning we will be looking at Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Let's read God's word together. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the day set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now... That you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you. In vain. This is God's word to us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you, Lord, that we are free to do that this morning. And I pray, Lord, there are many things going on in our hearts and lives this morning. I pray this morning we would feel your welcome. I pray this morning we would know that we are welcomed here by you. Lord, I pray this morning that we would know the truth, that those who have believed in Christ Jesus are sons and heirs. And I pray that you'd help us and plant that in our hearts this morning. We need that truth. Help me, Lord. You know my heart, you know my mind, you know that I need you. And so I pray that you will speak. For if you do not speak, I speak in vain, in your name, amen. As I've been studying and praying over this passage over the last week, I've been reminded of a truth that I think in some ways I have forgotten. Yes, I would theologically assert this truth, but sometimes I forget to live out this truth. And it is the truth that God, he is my father. 
If I have believed and trusted in God, He is my Father. That is a wonderful truth. Because when Jesus was teaching His disciples to pray, He said these words to them. When you pray, do not heap up phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask. It's an incredible thing for Jesus to say. Your Father in heaven knows what you need before you even ask. And then he says, Pray then, like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. When you pray, pray like this, our Father. How many times <laughs> have I rattled off that prayer in school and never knew the truth of it? God, He is my Father. That He cares for me. And that is a wonderful truth for all of us in this room. Especially, I think, for the children in some ways. Because for the children in this room, you have fathers. You have fathers who will let you down. You will have fathers that make promises to you that they will not keep. And yet the truth remains. There is a Father in heaven who knows you more than them, who knows every single day of your life, who knows the number of hairs on your head, and He deeply cares for you more than any earthly father ever could. And that is the truth that Paul wants the Galatians to come to, that God is indeed their father. That is the truth that God wants us to come to, that God is indeed our father, because Sometimes what happens to us is this. We forget that truth and we live our lives as slaves in bondage under the law rather than living our lives as free people who are sons and part of the family of God. And I don't know is it because of the stress of life or the failures of life or what's going on in our lives, but sometimes we just get caught up in the rat race that is Christianity and forget that God our Father is looking upon us in love. He cares deeply for you. You don't need to earn that. You don't need to achieve that. You don't need to do that by any works. The Father, He loves you. And so what Paul does is he, he begins to give them these two pictures. What does life look like for the slave? And what does life look like for the free son? He tells them first what looks, life looks like for the slave. In chapter 4, verse 1, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different than a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the day set forth by his father. You see, in the ancient world, what you might have, if a father died, you would have man managers or guardians who would be managers or guardians over one's estate. Except the son couldn't get the inheritance until a certain age that the father had set out or until the son had reached puberty. And so there is this weird stage for the son where the son knows what he should get, knows what belongs to him, and yet is in this limbo in which he cannot get at the inheritance that is due to him until the date that is set out by the father. 
And so what Paul is saying, in other words, is this. If we continue to live as slaves under the law, we're living like children who cannot get our inheritance. Verse 3, he says this. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. There was a stage before our salvation that we were slaves. We were slaves under the elementary principles of this world. Now that's a weird way of saying things. But what he is saying essentially is this, is that before you knew Christ, you were slaves under the evil powers of this world. In other words, when, when sin came, you were chained to it. You had to say yes to your sin. It is what Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you, talking about our past slavery, he says this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And you were, but you were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's what our past slavery looked like. We were slaves and we were children of wrath. It felt like we were free. It felt like we weren't under chains and bondage of sin. But the reality is, the elementary principles that drive this world, the evil powers and spirits that drive this world, if you do not have Christ, you are a slave under that spiritual power and bondage. That's what it looked like to live as a slave. And so what Paul is trying to bring back to the Galatians and us, that was your whole life. You were a slave in your whole life. Don't go back there. Don't turn back there. Don't think the grass is going to be greener in your own life. You are a new creation. You are a son now. You are not a slave anymore. Do not turn back. That's what God would have us here this morning. You see, and I think there is value in us remembering our past slavery. I think there is a value in us looking back to our past life. Do you know why I think there is a value in doing that? It's because that's what Paul does a number of times in his letters. He refers back to his past life. And he says things like this, I was the worst of sinners. He doesn't ignore that past life. He looks back to that past life and says, I actually was the worst. If there was a prize to be given to the worst of the worst sinners, I'd get it, Paul would say. That would be me. When I look back to my past life, I conclude, Paul would say, wretched man that I am. He looks back to his past. Why? So he can see the beauty of his present. I was a wretch, but he saved a wretch like me. And so it is good for us to reflect on our past, but it is not good for us to stay in the past because we are now sons of God. I was talking with someone this week about music that we listen to, music that we listen to. And I said, and I admitted to them, that there are certain tunes and certain songs 
that I just can't listen to. I don't say that to everybody because I don't want to impose that upon anybody. But there are certain songs that I just can't listen, beats even, that I can't listen to. Do you know why? Brings me back to my past. It makes me think about those foolish and stupid things that I do. And sometimes what happens to me is I start dwelling on that and I stay in those things. When I should not stay in those things. Yes, we should think upon our past but only as a springboard to see his wonderful grace that we have in Christ Jesus. Don't stay as slaves. Remember that you are what? Sons of God. And that's how he begins verse four. That's the contrast of word. That's the big word in verse four. But this is who you were in the, this was your past slavery, but now what is your present? Your present is sonship. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. You were in slavery, but God stepped in. And when God stepped in, what did God do? God sent forth his son. God, your father, loved you so much that he sent forth his son. And he describes the sending forth of his son in, in, in birth in two ways. He sent forth his son to be born by a woman and to be born under the law. And what he's saying in this reality of to be born by a woman, to be born of a woman is this. Yes, Jesus was sent by God, which points to us the deity of Jesus, the godness of Jesus. But Jesus was also born of a woman, which tells us this. He was man in the flesh. He took on our humanity. And every single human being that was born that took on humanity, all of them were under the oppression of the law. And he was born in that way. He was under the oppression of the law. Why do I say that? Because the law, what is it like? The law is like a mirror. When it says do not covet, it shows you your sin, the sin in your life. When it says do not commit adultery, it shows the sin in your life. What the law does is it holds you down. The law in effect, the law of God, the instructions of God, the Ten Commandments, these things, they hold you down. You're, you're under the law. And so Paul uses this word under to show that oppression that happens in the law. In Galatians 3.10, he says we are under a curse. In Galatians 3.22, he says that we were under sin. In Galatians 3.25, he says that we were under the guardian. In Galatians 4.3, it says that we were under the, the elements of this world. It holds you down. You're under this oppression when you were born into this world. It's kind of like this. When I was a kid, we went swimming, my, myself and my brothers, and we had this game. And the game was this. Chase after each other, jump on each other in the swimming pool, and try and hold one another down. Now, I don't recommend that for the kids. I'm not saying that. Say, tell these stories. It's kind of, I'm not gonna say what I'm about to say. People, people we, we would hold, hold each other down. That's what we'd do. And what happened when we were held down by our head? What did we want to do? We wanted to break free. 
In that moment, we wanted to break free. That's what the law does. The law, it holds you down because you can never keep it. You are always under it. And Jesus Christ, when he was born, he was born under the oppression of the law, except this. When the law said, do not covet, he did not covet. When the law said, do not commit adultery, he did not commit adultery. When the law said, you shall not have false idols, he had no false idols. In fact, he was perfect. He was born of a woman. He was born under the law, but he was not oppressed by the law. He kept the law fully on our behalf. So that as we were pressed down by it, he could set all his sons free. That's why Jesus was born under the law. He was born under the law so that he could keep the law. And when he kept the law, what did he do? In verse 5, it tells us to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Through Christ's death on the cross, he redeemed us. He bought us out of the slavery of sin. And he adopted us as sons. He chose us to be his sons. You know, in Scripture, it talks many times about God as our Father. And so in many ways, throughout the Scripture, it gives us a picture of this reality of adoption. But the phrase adoption, the word adoption, only occurs five times in the Scriptures. Five times. Once in Galatians, once in Ephesians, three times in Romans all by the hand of Paul. And Paul speaks of this adoption in this reality that God, he has chosen us. Not the other way around. He has picked us and he has chosen us because adopted children, they don't adopt themselves. He adopted us. And so Ephesians chapter 1, he says this. And I told Simeon this and he was like, that's mental. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through faith in Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. What that means, and I don't get all the reality of this, but before the foundation of the world, if you are Christ's, before the foundation of the world, this passage tells us he chose us and he adopted us as sons. Which means nobody can take you out of his hand. It was his plan before he made everything. Friends of ours, they uh, were part of the first group in Ireland who adopted a... a a child in uh, China 
And they went over to adopt this child and, and as they were adopting this child through the, through the whole process, they kind of gave the parents this opportunity to choose the child. Because in their mind, certain children were better than others. Disgusted by this, of course, the parents said, no, we're just gonna pick the first girl we see. It was a girl's orphanage. And they did. They picked her, they brought her, and they brought her over to Ireland, and she lives here still. What happened in that adoption? They chose her. She didn't choose them. They came and they said to her, you're ours now. And they didn't choose her on the basis of her perfection. They chose her because they chose her. When Jesus, when the Lord, he chose us, he didn't choose the best of the bunch. He didn't. He chose us while we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And he said, that's my son. That's my daughter. They're mine. And he chose that before you ever breathed a breath. That's the adoption of God. That is the love of God our Father. And so because God sent his son, not only in adoption did he send his son to redeem us, but in adoption he sent his spirit to seal us. To confirm our salvation, verse 6. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we have this confirmation that before the foundation of the world, God in Christ Jesus, he has redeemed you. And God, through the spirit, he has sealed you by his spirit. So that the spirit now indwells in you. And if the spirit now indwells in you, that means you can come to God the Father and you can say these outrageous words. Abba, Father. You can talk to God with the same intimacy. Do you know what that means? You feeble person can talk to God and speak to God with the same intimacy that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to his father with because mark 14 36 tells us in the garden jesus said these words abba father all things are possible for you remove this cup from me yet not my will but your will be done jesus was talking to the father and he said abba father and now, because of the Spirit, when you are talking to the Father, you can say those words by the Spirit, Abba, Father. You know what? He hears every single word. Some days we don't come to Abba, Father, because we don't feel like we deserve to come to Abba, Father. We are still remembering and living in our slavery rather than remembering and living in our sonship. And that's what these verses would instruct us to do. When you talk to God, when you pray to Him, address Him as Abba Father. 
Address him as one would a friend. Do not live in your past life. Do not live in your past sins. And so what he does is he calls us as sons to no longer live as slaves in verse 7. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We live in a world, don't we? Where nobody knows who they are. Nobody knows who they are. And as I meet people, I don't know who they are. I don't know what name I should use. I don't know what pronoun I should use. I don't know how I should address anybody. We live in a very, very confused world. And that should not make us angry. That should make us sad. People are confused and without a savior and they're lost. And they need him. It's like you and I need him. And sometimes in the confusion of this world, we, we end up in that confused place too. That we forget who we are. Oh, this passage would say to you, you are a son of God. If you've believed and trusted in Christ Jesus, you were born and chosen by him for his salvation. And that is a glorious thing that we can talk to and speak to our God. And he goes from past slavery to present sonship, back to past slavery. Verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. He goes back and he tells them, why would you go back to this former way of life where you had all these gods that you sought to worship? And of course, in the ancient world at that time, they had many other gods that they could have worshipped. They had Zeus, who was kind of the head of all gods, who was the god of the, of the sky and the rain. They had Poseidon, who was, who was like the second command, the, the god of the, of the sea. So, so seafarers would pray to him. They had Hestia, the, the virgin goddess, the goddess of the house, who you'd pray to if you had issues in your house. So they had gods for every issue in their life. If they needed good weather, they would pray to a certain god. If they needed calm seas, they would pray to a certain god. If they needed help in the home, they would pray to a certain God. And Paul is saying, that was your old life. That's not your new life. You were enslaved to that, but not anymore. And I think the implication of what he is saying in this is this. The implication of what he is saying is that no human being on this planet, nobody, nobody is neutral. Nobody is neutral. Nobody doesn't have a God that they worship. Either you were formerly in the past enslaved to your idolatry, or you're presently worshipping and serving God. But all of us are worshipping something. Today you are giving glory to something. You are giving honor to something. We were made for worship. The problem is we displace that worship and put it on to the created things rather than the Creator. Who is to be forever praised. And what Paul is saying is this. Worshippers. Don't go back to your old worship. Remember who you are. And so he brings them back again to their sonship. Verse 9. One of the most important words again. But. He's talking to them. Here is your past slavery. Now here is your present sonship. But now. That you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, 
How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? He's talking about the beauty and the wonder of their conversion. And the beauty and the wonder of conversion is this. Once you did not know God. Think back for a second to the time that you did not know God. Most of us in this world, we knew about God. But we did not know God, right, intimately, deeply. And I remember there was this time in my life, I had sang Amazing Grace over and over and over and over and over again when I was younger. But there was a point in my life where I sang Amazing Grace and I finally got to realize, this is amazing. This actually really is amazing. I've sang this I don't know how many times and now I'm realizing, now I know, now I know, this grace is amazing. And so there was a time I didn't know and then there was a time that I did know but then what Paul does is he kind of corrects it. He says, how, he says this, but now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God. So what that is telling us is this. It wasn't actually me who did the knowing of God. It is God who first did the knowing of me. It is not a question of do you know God? It is actually a question of, does God know you? So it is an adoption. He chose us, we didn't choose him. And in our knowledge, he knows us, we didn't first know him. And in love, he first loved us before we ever loved him. This is the beauty of our sonship. Do you know God this morning? Do you intimately know God in a way that you can talk to him like that? Abba, Father. And not only do you know God, but does God know you? See, I could walk up, silly example. I could walk up to Messi's house and say, let me in. I know you. Let me in. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I know him. What matters is, does he know me? The only way I'm getting in is if he knows me. The only way you are ever entering heaven is not that you know Jesus. No, it is that Jesus knows you. Does he know you? Are you his? And so what God's people were doing is they were turning back to the elementary principles of this world. They were turning back to the Old Testament law. They were turning back in this way. Verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. You're turning back to all these Old Testament observances. You're turning back to all these old traditions that you had. You're turning back to the Sabbath when Jesus Christ is now your Sabbath rest. You're turning back to the Day of Atonement when you have full and final atonement of all of your sins, past, present, future, one sacrifice for all. You're turning back to the Feast of Passover when Christ, your Passover lamb, has already come. Why would you turn back 
to these old ways? Why would you return to these old ways? In a way, he's using language of repentance, what they're doing. He's flipping it around. He's saying, you're almost repenting of your sonship and going back to your slavery. You're turning the wrong way around in your repentance. No, you need to go back to your sonship. What is it this morning that you are tempted to turn back to? All of us, we have old ways that we lived. And all of us, I think at times, we're tempted to turn back to certain ways. What is it this morning that you're tempted to turn back to? What God is saying to you, don't turn back to your slavery. Turn to Jesus. Embrace your sonship. And be truly free. There's this preacher, um, Paris Reedhead. Interesting name. Paris Reedhead, um, he told this account of a, an English businessman in the States. The English businessman, he made his, his fortune in the gold fields. He made his fortune in the gold fields and he sought to, to send that fortune back to England where he was. And he sent the fortune back and he ended up... Um, getting ready to board a ship in the States to get back home. And he went to one harbor, and at one harbor he walked past this slave market. And in the slave market there was this woman who was brought up on stage, and people started bidding for the woman, for the slave. And this English businessman, he looked on, but he had no intention of taking part. But as he looked on, he saw other men bidding for this woman. And as they bid for her, they started saying all the things that they would do to her. This English businessman, he was disgusted. He let the bidding go and go and go and go. Until finally he raised his hand and he bid twice the amount for that slave that had ever been bid before in that market. She came down to him after he bought her. She looked him square in the eye, she spat on him in the face and said, I hate you. Grabbed her by the hand. He walked her away and he walked her into this office. She saw him walk into the office, he went and he paid some money into the office and he got some papers. And he walked back out to the slave girl, this English businessman. She looked at him and she said, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. And he gave her these papers and he said, these are your manumission papers. She said, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. He said, I don't think you understand. These are your manumission papers. You're free. These are your freedom papers. You're free. She looks at him and she says, sir, you mean to tell me that you bought me to set me free? You bought me to set me free? He said, yes, that is right. I bought you to set you free. She fell down on her knees. She grabbed him. 
She said, sir, you've bought me to set me free. You have bought me to set me free. Sir, all I want to do it with the rest of my life is serve you. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus Christ has died on the cross for us to redeem us by his blood. He has bought us to set us free. Why on earth would you go back to slavery? Why on earth would you turn back when you have the freedom and adoption as sons? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, our Father in heaven, Abba, Father, that we can call you our Father. And I pray that you'd help us solidify that identity throughout this week. So many times we self-condemn. So many times we are tempted to turn back to our old ways. Lord, I pray that that would never be the case for any in this room that we would always trust in you as our Abba, Father. In your name I pray all these things. Amen.